Floss. I'm so happy that you can join me today on my podcast, Exactly. Today is another special episode. I'm interviewing someone that I followed on social media once again for years, probably like three to four years. She's absolutely incredible and I can't wait for you to hear more from her later. Exactly Podcast is a permission slip to follow your curiosity. I started this podcast because I basically wanted to have the conversations about things that I wish I'd learned in school. Today's episode is all about boundaries and this is probably the most important lesson that I think any human being can learn in their life. Every month on the podcast, I'm hosting a listener call-in where myself and an expert will be answering all of your questions, queries, and your dilemmas. The next one, we're looking for questions and voice notes on the topic of sex. So you can send me a message or a voice note via our podcast WhatsApp number at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. Thank you so much for being here and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today's guest is the incredible Nedra Glover-Tawab. She's been everywhere lately and I'm so glad because she discusses the subject of boundaries. Nedra is a New York Times best-selling author, licensed therapist and sought-after relationship expert. Every day she's helping people create healthy relationships by teaching them how to implement boundaries. I never learned about boundaries in school. I was taught sooner how to have boundaries with food and my body sooner than I was taught how to have boundaries with other people. All of that kind of messaging taught me of that I exist to be desired and not respected. And I just think this is so societally ingrained in women as a gender that it doesn't even feel like we're overgiving or overextending because it's all we've ever known. If I could change one thing about women everywhere, it's that we would all have the word no planted firmly in the forefront of our fucking brains. And Nedra is one of the people helping to make that happen. She's absolutely incredible and I can't wait for this episode on Boundaries today. Okay, Nedra, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast, Exactly. I'm absolutely honoured to have you as a guest today. Before I get into asking you all of the questions I have about boundaries, people-pleasing, and probably some questions that I'm figuring stuff to do with myself out as well. I would love to ask you my quick fire questions. If you could just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. So question number one, what's one thing that sets your soul on fire? A good night's rest. It makes me feel amazing the next day. Like I feel like I pop out of bed. I have childlike mm. energy at least for one hour. Okay. <laughs> you know, I yeah, feel yeah, yeah. So good. So it sets me on fire when I get like 
the most impeccable night of sleep. Okay, uh, on to the next question. What is the last photo you took on your phone? Mm, Last photo I took of my phone is something of my kids. They are constantly taking my phone, making me take selfies, (laughs) um, making me take pictures of random things. So my phone sometimes does not belong to me. So I'm sure (laughs) it's something kid related. Okay, that's adorable. Okay, on to the next question. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? Mm, people believe that I'm super serious. So when they hear me talk or they see uh, me in person, sometimes they're often shocked that I'm full of personality. I have a, a sense of humor. They're like, oh my gosh, I thought you were so serious. I'm like, yeah, I don't know you. Yeah. Like yes. you're literally yeah. like, <laughs> reading my words online. I'm not writing jokes. I'm writing very serious content and I don't know how to make childhood trauma funny. Mm-hmm. So it's going to sound serious and direct, but in real life, I have a very colorful sense of humor. I found that also being uh, someone who puts my work out online and stuff, it's that people think I always want to talk about also the very serious things that I talk about online. And that just doesn't translate mm-hmm. in my inner circle. And I feel like the closer I am to someone and the more that I trust them, the more they get to see the other sides of floss. Mm. Okay, finish this sentence. This is the last one. Okay. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to... Staying focused on my goals and not allowing other people to uh, misdirect my path. Because of the space I'm in, lots of people have ideas about what I should do next. So they aren't even my ideas. It's just like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You should do this. Have you thought about this? Ooh, here's a good book idea. I'm like, this. I am not a suggestion box. (laughs) I am a human in the grocery store. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Have you thought about, I'm like, I'm not trying to, you know, do all the things. I have a lot of books on this shelf for a reason. I want to be able to read them. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I want to be able to watch a ton of TV and, you know, spend time with my family. So I can't do all of the ideas. So I think sometimes things are wonderful for other people. Things are wonderful ideas to do, but it's just not a good fit for me. Mm, I feel very aligned with you that this entire episode and that it was coming today feels very aligned for me right now. And everything that you're saying about um, feeling misdirected or feeling misaligned when there are a lot of voices. And like you said, when your work is so public, a lot of people have suggestions and ideas about what would be good for you. And it's actually really, it's such a relief to hear you say those things about the kind of life that you want for yourself, because there's almost this Mm -hmm. pressure, isn't there? When you do put work out there and you have this this platform or these ideas that you need to do all of the things for it to feel Mm. uh, worthwhile or to feel like you've uh, accomplished something. But the goalposts just keep on moving and then you don't get to enjoy the things you want to do, like read books and watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Yeah, I I think we could get so busy working that we don't live. You know, the living is really the inspiration for everything else. So I followed you on social media for probably a few years now. Probably even the introduction of the concept of boundaries was through your work. And something that I love Mm -hmm. is that you've always stayed so consistent. And I feel like you have such a unique voice. And I would love to ask you about your latest book, Drama Free. I love the title. Mm. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so Drama Free is a book about helping us to manage our relationships with unhealthy family members or just unhealthy relationships within the family. So often there is this push to cut it off. But as we know, because there is this energetic tie to our parents, this energetic tie to our siblings, um, it can be hard to just walk away. And there are things that we can do to stay in those relationships and not necessarily cut them off. Mm. And what I found with my clients is most of them do not leave unhealthy relationships. Mm -hmm. The therapy is really about giving them strategies of how to stay, how to survive the next family gathering, how to advocate for themselves with the parent, how to be themselves, how to talk about um, their relationships with their partners, with their parents. It's about how to be in an adult relationship with a parent who was emotionally abusive. It's not always about, you know, just leave your parent. They were terrible. Just stop mm -hmm. talking to your sibling. Sometimes people don't. And they yeah. still need tools to be able to be in those relationships because everybody doesn't want to leave. There are many of us who want to stay and figure out a way to work it out. You said that, that there aren't that many resources for this kind of particular issue when it comes to boundaries and relationships. And mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Every single time I do a Q&A section for my podcast at the end or when I do my Q&As when I just and communicate with my audience people always ask me how do I handle living in a household with people because I can do it with my friends I can I can change the amount of time I spend with them but when it comes to family even having to go to visit parents it can it can cause this tightness in your chest at even the idea mm -hmm. of having to see them that's just unmanageable and also brings out such an old version of yourself when you go to visit them, which can feel like all the work you've done on boundaries has just gone out the window. Do you ever experience that with your clients as well? Absolutely. You know, there's something about us that happens when we're in the presence of our families where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do what my parents say, or yeah. if they really knew, you know, who I was, they wouldn't like me. Like all of those things still come up and we're constantly trying to figure out, okay, how do I let them know that maybe I don't want to get married? How do I let them know that, you know, what they did when I was, mm -hmm. you know, a kid is not, it wasn't okay. And how to either recover those relationships or release them. The biggest thing that I think people will learn is the recovery part is really about you. It's not about your parent changing, your sibling changing. It is you doing the work to say, this person will will be who they are, mm -hmm. right? Like this parent will be this. So knowing that, how do I want to engage with them? Mm -hmm. How do I engage with my mother-in-law who gossips about me? Perhaps I can stop sharing certain things with my mother-in-law. Yeah. You've you've said you've said before that boundaries are, are nothing to do with the other person. It's everything to do with you because you mm -hmm. can't you can't control other people. You can only control how you engage with them and set consequences for their behavior. We can hope that people would stop the harmful behavior, but you can't rely on that because then mm -hmm. that steps into controlling. So I feel like that's the perfect example there of what you're saying about the gossiping. You can't stop your uh, mother-in-law, your auntie, whoever, gossiping about you. So what you can do 
is you set a boundary with yourself not to share with this person. I think probably the hardest thing and the thing for me anyway that's been riddled with most guilt is outgrowing someone and outgrowing a person and mm -hmm. the boundaries that have to change with that. When do you know that something is a non-verbal boundary? So you're just outgrowing someone and times are changing and you've drifted apart versus when you've maybe unfairly ghosted someone. Does there need to be some kind of announcement or something that you have changed and that this needs to change or... Does it always need to be that direct when you've outgrown someone? It does need to be direct, but not in the sense of I've changed and you need to change with me, but in the sense yeah. of I don't want to go to clubs anymore. I don't want to talk about other people during our conversations with each other. Let's focus the conversation mm. on what we're doing, what we have going on. That's how I want to be in conversation with you. It doesn't need to be, I've evolved. I've changed. I've shifted away from gossiping. <laughs> you know, yes. It's like, that could be a bit off-putting, but there are many ways to say that and to let people know I will have a friend who would like screenshot stuff from Facebook and she would, you know, gossip about people like, oh my gosh, look at this person. And I would clearly say to her like, hey, I don't need to know what's going on with this person. That's why I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. literally don't want to know. Like yeah. I'm doing everything in my power to not know about these people that I knew 15 years ago. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, so she would send it and then she would get upset because I wouldn't respond to it. And she would be like, oh, because you don't like the gossip. Exactly. And I don't even know if that was a significant change as much as I'm just not interested in the same thing as you. Yes. And that's not to say that I never gossip about stuff, but I didn't want to do that. That just didn't feel good to me. Yeah. And then it, it, in, in that situation, it requires an assertiveness and boundary setting to even be able to stop doing that because otherwise you could slip into the people-pleasing part of you that continues to allow it to happen without saying anything mm -hmm. because you want to run away from the conflict. So what, what tips would you have for those situations where you can feel you're a bit out of your integrity, you're, you're going back into an old version of yourself because you don't want to have to say this thing to this person? Mm -hmm. What tips do you have people for people in that moment when they need to assert a boundary and hold it as well? You know, I think that's a perfect moment. I'm closing my eyes now as we're talking, but I think that is a perfect moment to close your eyes and really speak to yourself and say, if I don't create this boundary, I can't create my life. Like you, you can't live your life on your own terms if you're adhering to everything that someone else wants you to do. To do things that are misaligned, it just feels, I don't know about you, but I feel terrible inside. I talk, I started with, oh, I love to feel rested. There's mm -hmm. nothing that makes me tired and drained more than doing something I don't want to do. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. is like, I am instantly tired at the thought of it. So for me, I have found that I work best when I am able to be in line with my integrity. I can manage life better 
when I am able to say, these are the things I will do and these are the things that I will not do. And there is this thing that happens in the world where we feel validated when people are living like us. Mm. So in that situation I described earlier, my behavior, my friend probably thought my behavior is okay because she's in it with me. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not in it with you. I'm not there. (laughs) So so it's like, wait, are you trying to say something wrong with me? No, I didn't say anything. I'm just saying, I'm not doing it. That's the thing I've struggled with is not making people feel bad about their choices when I stand with two feet firmly in mine. So Mm -hmm. I've been on nights out before where I don't do drugs and I've said no to drugs. And then the the, the friend who overheard me decline them was like, she literally said, I don't like that. And I was like, why? Mm. And she was like, I don't like that. I feel disgusting now about myself and I was like I didn't say anything I just don't I just don't want to do drugs um Mm -hmm. it was someone I half knew and that was interesting to me because normally that that that's something that's so internal but she actually said it out loud and I felt Mm -hmm. like it was the perfect story for me to see how it's happened so many other times and I think that's often the fear for me anyway is that when I set a boundary I make people around me feel uncomfortable because I'm not signing the social contract that this is what we do Yeah, that is a part of the boundary setting, not being able to please everybody with your boundaries. And that is, you know, the the drinking and drug examples, nobody really talks about adult peer pressure. You know, there's a lot of focus on teens are peer pressure. I'm like, adults (laughs) are peer pressure. Those teenagers who used to peer peer pressure people, they're now grown. Yes. They're still peer pressuring people. One more, Mm -hmm. have a shot. You don't want to do drugs. I mean, it's like, let people live in their lane. You know, sometimes there are some choices that maybe even dietary that you can make that I can't make. There are some social choices that you can manage that I can't manage. Doesn't mean that any of those choices are bad necessarily. It's just that we're different. Mm. You can go ahead and do it. I'm not stopping you because guess what? Free will. You can do whatever you want to do. And then I'll be over here doing my thing. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You said at the beginning that some of your, most of your clients you came to realize um, don't leave relationships that they are unhappy in until much Mm -hmm. later. When do people typically leave relationships? Mm. At what point? You know, with parents, I'm going to give it a a high percentage of never. I would, I would say 85% never. There's just this continuous 
talking about the problem with the parent, the problem with the parent, the problem with the parent. With parents, there is this deep level of connection that we have. So unless there is something as egregious as sexual abuse, um, I would say sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. because even physical abuse, we could chop that up to childhood. I'm an adult now. Right. So, you know, they can't hit me anymore. That type of thing. Emotional abuse. We kind of tolerate it because, unfortunately, emotional abuse seems like the lesser of all the abuses. However, it is one of the most impactful. Mm. So I I think with parents, it's, it's pretty challenging. You see people leaving more relationships with extended family, that's the most. Aunts and uncles, cousins, not so much, grandparents. and But parents, I would say, are the hardest to leave. And then siblings. You know, there is something about the teaching of that's your brother, that's your sister, you're your brother's keeper. You have to watch, you know. When there are sibling relationships that are far worse than any friendship that we can experience, mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like a Cain and Abel story in yeah. some of these families. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, but that's your sister. It's like, oh my gosh, mm. oh my gosh, that's your brother. You should always help him. And it's like, yeah, since you were, you know, small children, you all didn't get along. You didn't have anything in common. This person was your bully. This person was your, you know, there are a lot of things in those dynamics that are long suffering that we continue to tolerate, but it's, it's hard to recover the damage of abuse in a family, right? Especially many people don't have parents who acknowledge it. Yes. There is this, I think it's one thing if you have a parent who says, oh my gosh, you know, when you were younger, I was on drugs. When you were younger, I was so caught up in my story. You know, I couldn't pay you any attention. Most people don't have that. Most people have parents who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I did everything I could for you. No one's perfect. I mean, just all Mm -hmm. of these things that are like, oh wow, this person has no accountability. And because they don't have the accountability, they're continuing to operate even in the adult relationship with the expectation that you get over it and move on. And they are able to be this non-accountable parent in your adult life. Mm. There's so much guilt tied to even bringing something up in adult life about your childhood, isn't there? Because it's almost like you, you already have the the words in your head about what you're going to be met with if you do bring this up again like the mm. I was doing my best this never happened to you this was completely fine um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons and I'm sure you know this like why people never bring it up or, or minimize it to cope with it right minimize mm-hmm. what happened so that they don't have to think about it anymore because the idea of bringing it up it's almost like you just you're just kind of ready to be shut down with that kind of stuff. People will fight it. I've I've heard people very clearly describe abusive situations and I'll say, you know, do you do you think there's anything there? Like do you have any feelings about what happened and they will normalize it. Mm. But we we get so used to <sighs> surviving. 
surviving, just getting through it, just getting through it. Mm -hmm. That even in adulthood, there is this, I just need to survive this relationship with my parent. And really that deep connection comes in when we can be honest with each other. When a parent can say to a child, I didn't have the tools. I think it all, when it comes to parents, there's always going to be, I mean, as you said, it's like, and you, you made up the statistic, but like 85% of people <laughs> roughly probably wouldn't yeah. leave their parents. And I, I can just see how that's so true because like you said, that's your sister, that's your brother, that's your mother. We're encouraged to kind of, for some reason, with family, take it all on. And I think that what you're saying is it's not, it's not radical in the sense that it's, it's too much or it's over the top. I think it's just what people need to hear. But because the cultural script has been for so long, that's your mother, that's your sister, how dare you? I imagine you do face quite a lot of people who just completely disagree with your approach. Um, mm. And I think it's amazing that you talk about this stuff because I can't imagine the amount of abuse that people still tolerate from their families um, just because of this cultural script. And I think it's incredible that you break it. Yeah, I think we like to talk about childhood trauma and we don't talk enough about adulthood trauma. Okay. There is trauma still happening in relationships with family because when the people haven't changed, they haven't changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you're in those sort of systems of certain things, you're just constantly in this phase of re-experiencing, re-experiencing. That Monday after Thanksgiving, my phone is ringing off the hook for new clients at my practice. <laughs> the Monday, I mean, at the top of the year, the first three months of the year after we've had that saturated family time, mm -hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, I got to go to therapy. I, I cannot believe I just sat through another year of dysfunction. Wow. And so would you say, again, there's so many reasons that that would even happen. Um, I assume one of them would be the, the slipping into an old self. Again, like you said, the, the being frightened of a parent or even just going into, into an old character or old mode of yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about people pleasing and where it comes from, what it looks like? And how I love that you describe it, it's it's not kind. And it can al almost sometimes be worn as just like badge of honor. I'm a people pleaser. I just, I just, mm -hmm. this is what I do. It's, it almost has this like sense of martyrdom to it, but it's not. It's in all of us. You know, many of us are raised in families and school systems and society to some extent that drills us down to be people pleasers. To the extent that that manifests, it, it varies, right? There are some of us who can tolerate, you know, hey, this is a situation where I need to, you know, maybe step back and let this happen. And then there are others where they're always stepping back. Mm. So there is this scale, so to speak, of are you always doing it or are you doing it sometimes? I think for those of us who are always in the spirit of making everyone else happy over ourselves or giving of ourselves in ways that in ways that make us suffer, that is when it's problematic. There has to be some level of this is not a time to give. You know, I have nothing left to give. I recently read this children's book called The Giving Tree. Mm -hmm. Have you ever read this book? No, I haven't. Oh, top, 
Oh, it's so good. Okay. So basically, the book is about this tree and this little boy goes to visit the tree and the tree feels so bad for him. He just gives away everything. You need a limb. Here's a limb. You need this. Here's the, you can sit here. You can, you know, all of this stuff. So he eventually gives him his whole self away. He's down to a stump and there's nothing left to give. That's what happens with so many of us. We give away so much that we have nothing left to give. Mm. We give away the branch. We give away the fruit. We give away the leaf. We cut ourselves. Then the next thing you know, we got to cut ourselves all the way down. And that's not even enough for people. Mm. We have to be able to say, you can pick an apple off my tree, but you cannot have all the apples. <laughs> you know, you can you can take a leaf, but do not take them all because there are times where we have to recognize that we need to be able to replenish. We need to be able to restore. One of the things that I really value is the waking up refreshed, right? Mm. Because if I can't take care of myself first, I can't create content. I can't write a book. I can't even complete a sentence if I am not gathered in my spirit before I start to pour into other people. So how do we, you know, pour into ourselves and pour into other people? It's not, hey, don't do anything for other people ever, but how can I be there for you and be here for myself? Okay, Nedra, thank you so much. We're now going to go into the listener questions. These are some, my audience had so many uh, that they wanted to ask you. I'm just going to go through some of these, if you could help me answering them. Do you have any tips for confronting flatmates without causing a fight when they've crossed a boundary? When we are having difficult conversations, it's really important not to beat around the bush, to give people a lot of Um, fluff up front Mm. or to tell them how they might feel about what you need to say. So my tips would be be direct, but don't try to protect their feelings or tell them how to feel. Some examples of that would be, I have something really tough to say. I need to talk to you later about something major, like these sort of things we tell people. Let's assume that they won't be offended. Mm. We don't know. You know, how can I have the conversation with you about doing your share of the cleaning or paying your rent on time um, and it not be an argument? That is possible. It could be as simple as saying, hey, you know, rent is due on this day. Can you please, you know, pay it by this date? Did you want to watch Seinfeld later? You know, it doesn't have to be, Mm. let's sit down, let's have a conversation. (laughs) This is going to be so hard for you to hear. You're going to be upset. We do not know that. We often assume that and we go into it with that energy, which sometimes causes disputes because we are energetically ready for a fight. And it doesn't have to be a fight. It just needs to be a conversation about whatever is happening in the house. Yes, I've definitely been set up for things before with people that say, hey, I really need to talk to you about this thing later. Can we set aside some time? And it was the smallest, tiniest thing. But because they were so (laughs) afraid of my imagined reaction to this, I was like, oh, that's not an issue. Done. Sorted. And I was like, was that it? And they were like, yeah, "Yeah, that that was it. Okay. On to the next question. How to differentiate between when I'm people-pleasing or when I'm being my kind and generous, authentic self? I think people-pleasing 
probably shows up in the stuff that is not value aligned, is not something that you want to do. You don't see any value in doing it. You're doing it for the other person. Kindness is genuine. It doesn't feel heavy. It feels very light and it feels freeing to do it. It doesn't feel like an obligation to do it. You know, we don't have to step outside of ourselves all the time to help people, especially when there is going to be multiple opportunities to be of service. Operate within your skill set, within your gift set. Sometimes we are giving of ourselves in some ways that's really a stretch for us and it's unhealthy to do that. So it can be really helpful to think about, am I doing this because they asked or am I doing this because I want to help them? Mm. Okay, wonderful answer. Another question here is, what foundations make a healthy relationship? There cannot be a healthy relationship without trust. And when we trust people, we're able to be vulnerable with them. We're able to be carefree. We're able to have hope for the relationship, to plan with them, and to be our authentic selves. When there is a lack of trust, you cannot be authentic with a person because you are on guard. So trust makes a healthy relationship. And would you say that at the start of a relationship as well is probably the best time? I think you've made a reel about this where you said that that's where we should be looking for those kind of uh, character traits in a person before we get emotionally attached to them. Yes. You know, the beginning of dating is the best time to weed through the people you want to be with. And sometimes because people like us, we'll like them back and we get attached right away. Just, oh my gosh, they like me. And it's like, someone else will like you too. Like, Mm -hmm. keep going if this isn't the right fit. You don't have to force the shoe to fit if this is not it. And that is okay. You know, sometimes we do like people and it's just not a good option for us. People can be really kind and generous and funny and not be for us. So thinking about, you know, if trust is important to me, I'm moving in this new situation, looking for indicators that this person can be trusted. When I see that they can't be trusted, Is it something that I need to discuss with them and maybe get more information? Or is this an opportunity for me to be in a relationship with someone that I can trust? Not just in dating, with friends, you know, with coworkers. Those are also opportunities to look at relationships and make sure that you are in a relationship with a trustworthy person. Because if that foundation is not set in the beginning, there will be problems throughout the relationship because there are trust issues. My script for today's episode is just covered in blue biro notes. I've written so many, some of them that I can't even make sense of them. Um, Some things about discernment, some things about trust, some things about how people pleasing feels heavy, it feels like a burden, and how giving from an authentic place feels genuine and light. I can't wait to journal on what Ned just told me today, particularly with the place that I'm in at the moment where I'm just leaking energy out everywhere and not really giving a lot for myself. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. You can follow Nedra on Instagram at Nedra Tawab. That's N-E-D-R-A-T-A-W-W-A-B. 
If you've enjoyed listening, then please share this with your friends. To keep updated with all the latest episodes as and when they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please also take the time to rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people to find us and to make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. And don't forget, you can join me every week for Ask Floss, where I answer all of your questions from how to be self-assured to exploring your sexuality. Whatever it is, you can ask me anything over there and I'll fucking answer it. Send your questions to the WhatsApp number at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. Subscribe to Extra Floss to listen right now. You can visit extrafloss.com to start your free trial and get access wherever you get your podcasts or you can visit exactly on Apple Podcasts and hit try free at the top of the page. I want to give a massive thank you to the formidable Black Honey who composed the original theme music. You can find them on Instagram at at Black Honey UK and check out their latest album written and directed. This is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. My producer is Millie Charles, assistant producer is Ella McLeod, executive producer is Carly Mayle, the production coordinator is Lily Hambly, and I want to give a special thanks to Chris Skinner, Jonathan Imiri, Ryan O'Meara, and Teddy Riley for additional production, and a big thanks to our engineers, Josh Gibbs and Gully Lawrence Tickle, and mix engineer, Jay Beale.